Hey everyone and welcome to episode 35 of the Convergence podcast. I'm your host Siddhartha Valuri and this week I had the pleasure of talking to film industry veteran Christopher Rosewarn about the experiences he has had in his two decade long career so far. I have a deep love and fascination for the film world so it was really fun to learn about the inner workings of the art department within a film production and the various hurdles he has encountered over the years. working on movies such as Dune, Jurassic World, Star Wars, Guardians and many many more. Christopher also shared his thoughts about how the industry has changed over the years and the various tactics needed to maintain a healthy balance needed for a long career in this industry. This conversation is packed with so many insights and great knowledge, so I hope you stay till the end of the episode and get a lot of value from it. And with that said, let's go. it's an interesting thing right when you were talking about earlier like just getting somebody's phone number and having that dynamic to be able to reach out to them directly a decade ago versus now you can just dm like a hundred artists and you almost expect oh, to reply oh yeah yeah i i mean the it it it, it was funny and it, and it really demonstrated like who was on the inside so you know if um like that that sort of knowledge is power kind of thing of like not only did you know who might be designing or who were the artists on that show but got their email you know got the email you know, the you want the email uh, no so not the email the phone number mm-hmm. the phone the, the phone number because you know not everyone was uh, doing doing emails um and uh, and 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 that was what you'd be kind of not begging for but you'd be trying to be you 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 were you were trying to sort of arrange that sort of exchange of information oh like so who's doing that movie okay okay and do you know him is is like is he oh, yeah 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 like can i get his number and you might get the the phone number and then and then it would be a cold call and you'd hear these stories about like oh i called this one art director i called this one designer and they just started screaming at me how did you get this number so because it was quite a personal thing to get somebody's phone number and yeah. and now it, it's quite interesting how everything is just on the outside and people are very public with this sort of information and and with uh you know not only the websites but social media and instagrams it, it's almost it's got to be part of your business model is that you make it very easy for people to contact you um in fact i was just i was laughing the, the other night that with because uh, i'm 42 and mm-hmm. uh i was uh, talking to this other guy i think he's a couple of years older than me and we were saying we sort of just we were just a little bit kind of behind that sort of social no we 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 didn't quite embrace the social media apps when 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 they came out and in fact i remember my sister telling me to get instagram and i thought it was like a um sort of like a photo filter Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's cool. You can take pictures, and you go, oh, okay, Japan, Jakarta, New York. Okay, this is cool. The photo filter. Okay, click. It's online. People can see my photo. That's really embarrassing. How do I get? It? And I deleted it. I was like, what a terrible thing. Like, why would I want people to see pictures of me or or my photos? Not getting it at all. And so it's quite it's quite funny how now that's become quite a an essential tool of the freelancer, and you can actually. break into the industry or you can get jobs in the industry by just having a very good presence on on social media because you know producers might see it directors might see it and and so rather than it becoming a skill of networking 
or like you know meeting people and exchanging numbers and stuff it, it, it's more like develop good content do good artwork and it just spreads organically because if people like it then they'll save it share it tag it and it just it starts it starts going out there by itself so that there's not really any there's not too many sort of personal barriers there like so it can it can really reach an amazing audience i mean i don't need to tell you guys that but we my um my friend and i were just discussing that the other night it's almost gotten to a point where if somebody doesn't have an online presence you almost wonder are you even active in the industry at this point yes 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 yeah well and, and then it just becomes completely counterproductive because you know it's um I worked with a storyboard artist once and he said to me like uh, today's PA is tomorrow's producer kind of thing so it, it, it's you know maybe some of the older guys don't do the social media thing and maybe they're just you know maybe they just work via agents you know they've got their agent and they do they do kind of the the networking mm -hmm. for them but certainly if you're an artist of, 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 of any kind you know it's all about the, the portfolio and in fact I've got I dusted this off the other day and this is this is what we used to leave art college with, which oh, was wow. the um, sort of the, 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 the traditional kind of hard bound um, portfolio, you know, and, and, and this is what you had to put together because this is what you had to take to interviews because it was the only way to, you had to get this in front of somebody, mm. right? And, and so you had to carry this bloody thing, which weighs a ton and, then go on, you know, go go for interviews and go through it and discuss this sort of work. And, and now, actually, you can just send them the link, or or, or or they see it. So that the the ability to get your work in front of people is is super easy now. Um, and in fact, I still get the you know that that question, which I think is very relevant of like, how do I you know how do I do what you do? How do I get into the industry? And uh, I you know I think well. If I if I said to like a room full of a hundred people, the first person to contact me now out of the blue gets you know hundred dollars. Google's your friend, go for it. I'd sit and I think within like thirty seconds I'd get an email from people who don't know me because Google my name, Google you know movies I've been on, and then you'll find a link, Instagram, blah, 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 and you can you can contact me and ask that thing of you know here's my work i'm an aspiring artist you know uh do you know of any productions that might be looking for other designers and artists that, that, that sort of stuff so yeah i, I think it's been a, a, a great tool i'm actually curious about that very aspect you know when there's a, like a open call so to speak do you think enough people actually take advantage of that opportunity and take the initiative to reach out because even though there's such access to people at this point I still feel people mm. are hesitant or scared sometimes to reach out because maybe they undervalue their own skill or maybe yeah, they're just not willing absolutely. to communicate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think I think that's a bit of a, a, a confidence hurdle that we all have to get over. And, and, you know, I mean, even after I'd done maybe seven years in the industry, I was trying to build, um, I was trying to revamp my website and looking through all the stuff and even though you know I had, I had a, a, quite a few features and I was like oh there's just not enough work like there was never enough work to show and so I was always in doubt and like oh man and so I started doing a lot of my own personal work um but but that feeling of 
I had some contacts, but uh, it's not ready to show people, I think is a very, very common mm -hmm. thing that we can we can all relate to. But I think now, I mean, you know, I think art directors and um, designers only need to see kind of a small selection of work. They don't, they don't necessarily want to uh, plow through a lot of um, a, a lot of images. So you can be a lot, you can be more concise with your portfolio because I think within a few images, you already know what the skill level of the person mm. is like. But yes, that kind of imposter syndrome, that, um, that, that fear of kind of rejection and stuff. And over that and just start, start sending it. That actually brings up a question in my mind. You've been working for quite a lot of years at this point because you put up pictures of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and that came out back in 20, 2005, I think. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. how have you stayed relevant or active or even self-motivated to continue working for so long? Because at a certain point, you wonder, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that was interesting. You know, I actually got into the industry as a, as a prop maker, so oh. model maker. So I was, in, I was in the workshop, so I was physically building this stuff. You know, I would receive the drawing from the art department and we would be building props and models as per what, what they designed. And I'm, I'm, I'm very creative. I mean, it, it's like if, if <laughs> I remember asking a, a, a room of artists, it's like, uh, does anyone still play with Lego? And I was like, you know, the hands still go like, it's being creative and, and building stuff. I mean, um, being a prop maker was almost sort of like an adult, like it was like adult Lego in a way, doing this stuff and you'd be molding, painting and sculpting, fabricating. Um, and that's what I was doing I, for a couple of features, including Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I think that was that was almost, I think I did one movie after that where I was prop making, but that's when I made the transition in, in, into the art department because I was seeing this stuff and remembering like, oh, I like drawing. I like doing that stuff. I, I'm, I think I like, I'm quite good at it. And I, I'm, yeah, I'd like to do more of that. And, and, and that, that personal desire kind of got me to um, got me to sort of not change industries, but change departments. But it might as well have been change industries because I had built up um, prop making contacts for four years, and mm -hmm. so people were uh, prop making supervisors would call me like, "Oh, Chris, we've got oh, what was the next movie after that? I can't remember, but I, oh, we've got this job. You know, do you want to? Are you available for it?" And, and I had to be able to say no. Was that a Knowing hard transition was, for you at that point? Very much, very much. But I was very fortunate to, to be quite young at the time. I think I was 24. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, and I, I had moved back home to my parents. And um, so I didn't have to pay rent. Uh, so my outgoings were minimal. So I could actually sit there and work on an art portfolio, that big heavy thing to then be like, oh, this is what I do. And then go and go and do that cold call thing, and I had to call call up people and say, uh, you know, oh hey, um, my name's Chris Rosewarn. I'm a uh, concept designer. I'm just looking to see if there's any vacancies on uh, on this feature. And of course, they were all crewed up by by this time. And and so what I'd say to them was, okay, uh, can I still come in and meet you and show you my work? Oh, okay, okay. So I'd go in and they wouldn't feel under any pressure to say to me like, oh, well, listen, we're all, you know, they'd already told me they crewed up. I just wanted to get my foot in the door and for them to see me and to you know, have, have that meeting. 
And um, so I went to quite a few, you call them interviews, just purely to make contacts. And um, uh, sorry, I've got a, I've, I've uh, rambled off off point here. Um, no, that's perfectly. What fine. was the question again? It was more about like how hard of a transition was it to actually move from the props department to the art department. It, the the hard the hardest thing I think was just being able to not be employed for you know six months seven months. And I I get that question sometimes from people who are already working in one industry. Maybe you know like I I remember there's a, a one guy contacted me and. He'd, you know, kind of married, family, house, bills, outgoings, and he was working in one industry and he's, you know, wanted to step out and try and get into, into film. And, you know, unfortunately that it requires a little bit of, you know, knocking on, on, on doors and, you know, not working for a while. So you need to be in a position, fi financially in a position to be able to not work mm -hmm. whilst you go around knocking on doors. Um, so, uh, it took a little while to get in and build up. So like, because you're starting from the bottom. So then I got my one art department job. And so I made contacts with that designer and that set decorator and that prop master and they go off onto another job and you've got to start knocking again. And maybe they get another job later and they call you back. And so you start slowly building that, that list of contacts. And I've been doing this now, I think for about 20 years. So I've wow. built up quite a big, sort of Rolodex of, of, of contacts. I'm very, very fortunate to be in a position where they contact me. Uh, but I, I certainly remember, in fact, I did a, I did a movie, um, uh, a Tim Burton movie called Dark Shadows. And I was working with a, a couple of artists that I uh, admired very much, uh, Adam Brockbank and Dermot Power, a couple of UK uh, concept artists. And, and they were working there. We were all in the same room. And I would hear them kind of ask each other, oh, did you just get that email from a producer about that job? Yeah, I can't do it. Da, da, da. And I remember thinking like, oh, wow, I would love to be contacted out of the blue <laughs> to, you know, what, what is that like? You know, and, um, you know, sort of, yeah, kind of 10 years later, I find myself lucky enough to be in that position, which is good, which is good. Is this something that naturally happens with everyone that the contact list just keeps building? Or is that something that actively needs to be done, even as somebody who's a seasoned professional? where you need to go out there, I, build the connections? Um, I think once you've been doing it for a while, um, the it, it sort of like, it becomes like an AI. It just runs by itself. I see. Um, but the definitely in the start, you have to be quite proactive. And what I say about um, reaching out to those, con reaching out or finding lists of, of, of contacts is to, um, if, if I was in London and I was advising somebody in London kind of out of college, I would say, um, you know, Google film art director London mm -hmm. and see what, see what, see what comes up. And because a lot of these guys, and I know quite a lot of them personally, they also have websites. So stuff will come up so you can build and instantly start collecting names, possibly phone numbers, certainly email addresses. You can do the same for set decorator, set decorator, movie, London, and then find a list there, uh, production designer, and you'll build, like fact, you'll have a huge list by, you know, by the end of the day, and you can just start sending out an email, introducing yourself with a PDF of your work. And um, I think be prepared to 
also not have replies, not from any sort of, um, they're not being mean about that. It's just, you know, they're super, super busy and they're getting emails all the time. And so to actually take the time to be able to say, thank you for your email. We don't have any positions available. Da, 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 da. They just, they can't reply to all of those. Yeah. So um, you might say like, if you send out a hundred emails, you might get, Thirty may reply. Thirty, forty may reply. Yeah. And the others will not reply purely because they're busy, super, super busy. Um, I complain to them sometimes, you know, sort of like, why you didn't reply? You know, <laughs> and I'm on the same production as oh God, so busy. I've had this thing with a set all day. Da, 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 da. So understanding that and then, you know, perhaps sending another email with some new work, you know a couple of weeks later and you might start finding that they reply but just some polite persistence and and, and gradually um gradually um you know you'll start building that that contact that contact list and and now at the moment oddly enough it, it's it's so busy i've never had so many job offers and that's not necessarily saying something about my work but it, it's more about that the you know the entertainment industry just a green lighting so many projects at the moment that the industry is struggling to find artists so i'm getting asked a lot like oh do you know of anybody so which is quite nice because then you get to sort of pass down jobs to people mm -hmm. who have been contacting you yeah that's an interesting thing because that i guess gives a lot of positive energy to a lot of people who are trying to break into the industry because there's always this doubt that there are so many established artists already out there will i ever get a chance to work on any project so yes, yes. Thing. And then there's also the, um, I, I was, um, I was talking to another friend of mine, another designer, and we were talking about some very, very famous artists. And uh, he said, Oh, we actually employed him uh, to do some to do some uh, concept work for one of the uh, features or one of the games we were working on. And I said, Oh, wow, you managed to get him? He's like, Yeah, he was available. And, and I think sometimes perhaps your name can be so big, the assumption is like, well, he's bound to be working or not, won't even bother contacting him. And whilst they're sat there, like, like, why is nobody contacting me? Um, and and sometimes, sometimes my emails go, go like, Chris, you're probably working, but I you know, just want to see if you're available. And sometimes I am, and I'm always like, thank you for your email. Please, you know, always reach out. Please always knock on the door because I would hate to, be looked over just on the assumption of like, ah, he's, he's bound to be working. So what got you interested in the movie or entertainment industry to begin with? And how did you actually get into the props department first? Oh God. I, I think like many, like uh, many of us, I, I loved movies as a kid, you know, child of the eighties, grew up watching Star Wars, Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, then got a little bit older, got into comics, loved Predator, Terminator, Aliens, Alien, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I used to draw that all the time. And, and to, to draw it was almost a way to sort of extend the the experience of the, of the movie, you know, because, oh, the movie would finish and then, oh, well, you know, and then I would start, start drawing spaceships or guns or aliens and, kind of, you know, I'd kind of create this little fantasy world on a piece of paper. And um, I, I was used to think, kind of, well, how am I, my parents were artists as well, so I, I grew up in this world of, oh, you, okay. know, you know, people making money being a freelancer, it's freelancer. And my dad would be kind of, 
explaining to me kind of early on, well, if this is what you want to get into, you know, you've got to build this portfolio and you've got to show people this and because it's what, what they did. And I was never to, you know, I liked doing comic books, but I didn't know if I wanted to be a comic book artist. But I remember thinking, well, that's, I don't, you know, I don't want it, I don't want it's an office job. So maybe I have to be a comic book artist. Um, and um, when DVDs started getting released, uh, the first DVD I ever bought was Blade. And uh, I remember we, did, we didn't have a, uh, a DVD player. We had a, one of the new iMacs, one of the colored iMacs, and it had, it had a DVD player in it. Oh, mm-hmm. I can watch movies on this thing. And it had bonus features like clicking on that. And it was sort of an interview with behind the scenes people and they were interviewing the production designer. And he was going through, oh, this is the design for the car and this is the design for Blades going up. And I'd be like, wow, like that's, that's the stuff I want to do. I didn't even know what to type into Google. In fact, I remember typing in production design art. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, what's the name of, like, who are the people that do the, the, the drawings for movies? I was like, drawings for movies, you know, and like technical drawing stuff. I, like, I, did, I just didn't know what to call it. Concept art was not a term. And, and this, was, this was a funny gateway in for many, many people, actually. I'm going down here. I was a, a, I was a prop maker when uh, I got this book. Oh, wow. Uh, by the way, I just want to mention uh, that the podcast is an audio-only podcast, so maybe we should just let people know. What oh, book... yes, yes, well, that, that's good. So I've just pulled out of my dusty bookshelf. This is, the, um, this is the Art of Star Wars, Attack of the Clones. And it's a hardbound book. And inside, there's all these illustrations from that guy, you know, Dermot Power, Ryan Church, Eric Tiemens, Jay Schuster. And it, it's just a book of, like, pen and marker hard surface illustrations and then a lot of these amazing color illustrations from um from ryan church and eric timmons and i was like wow what like wow wow what like what is this stuff like how'd you do it and it said concept artists ryan church eric timmons don't pound like concept artists concept it was i was 23 and it was really like a moment of like hey mom dad i want to be a concept artist <laughs> And even to this day, when I tell people like, you know, I'm, I'm a concept artist or a concept designer, it's, what's that? Mm-hmm. And I have to say, well, it's like being a product designer, but for movies. Oh, so is it like the storyboards? I was like, no, like I'm kind of designing stuff for it. But that was a real pivotal point mm-hmm. of suddenly being really inspired by the content of that book and going, wow, that's what I want to do. That's definitely what I want to do. And here these guys are doing it. And so I was working for a special effects company uh, called Artem uh, in London as a prop maker. And uh, I uh, <laughs> I said to the guys, because uh, I was going through this book, I was like, wow, I want to do this stuff. And two out of the bunch of guys working around me, and they were like sort of 15 to 20 years older than me, pulled out these dusty A1 portfolios because they had studied theater theater design or something like that. And I had this, and they unzipped this portfolio. And it was like something from, you know, kind of Harry Potter, this, you know, this portfolio opens and this plume of dust goes up in the air. And they're like, and they're like, yeah, I wanted to get into the art department too. And, uh, you know, I came for an interview here and they said, oh, come on in. You know, this, this is a, a good way to get, you can start doing prop making and then get into the art department. Mm-hmm. And, I was like, and I said, so, and I'm flicking through their stuff. And I was like, wow, this is really good. 
why didn't you get in there? Oh, yeah, well, you know, I ended up getting married and had kids and, you know, just it became a full-time job. And that just made me go, <gasps> and I immediately went upstairs and quit. <laughs> I, I said, uh, I went upstairs and they were like, oh, are you ready for the next job? And I said, actually, um, I'm leaving. And I said, oh, what, what? I said, yeah, I actually really want to get into the art department. And they knew that about me. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good to, yeah, yeah, go, go for it. And so, um, so it was almost like um, that, uh, that, that what's it, uh, a, Christmas, a Christmas carol. It was, I was seeing ghosts of Christmas future. There, there were these guys that could be me in 10 years time talking to somebody else. Like, oh, well, I wanted to get into the art department and yeah, never did. And I was like, oh my God and just immediately quit and move back home and, uh, and, and started trying to copying, copying the stuff that I saw in, the, uh, in, in that Star Wars book. And so I kind of had a little bit of a direction and then I had names of artists to look at. And then when I Googled Ryan Church, his website came up and then there was a menu for tutorials. And then I discovered the Gnomon workshop. I see. Um, that, yeah, that used to sell, you know, I thought, oh my God, these people are going to show how they do this stuff. Wow. And these DVDs were like $70 each and pay, you know, it cost me maybe like a hundred, over a hundred dollars, like, cause you had to pay for shipping over mm -hmm. from the US and import charges and stuff, but they were like gold because, you know, here they are doing this, showing how they draw this stuff. I used to watch those DVDs like hours. Um, and now all that stuff's up on YouTube. Yeah, it's like um, an you know, amazing thing, really. I remember, in fact, um, by the time I really got interested in concept art, some of these Nomon YouTube videos were already on YouTube. So I remember seeing some from Feng Zhu and by Sydney. Yes, yes. Like well, I mean, I loved, I loved, I loved the Feng Zhu stuff, and um, I had got pretty much all of his DVDs. And I remember looking on his website, and he'd have these like little tutorial um, uh, panels, um, and then. I discovered some years later that he'd got that design studio, not design studio press, he'd got Feng Zhu Design School. Yeah, yeah. And that channel on YouTube where there was just, he's got over like 150 videos. So that's, you know, when, when I get contacted by people saying, oh, what's the best way to, you know, kind of learn how to do concept design in, 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 in the computer, I immediately just send them to his, his channel and say, like, this stuff's gold, watch it. Because um, I, I remember having to scratch around. In fact, I've got in that in my dusty um, my dusty bookcase behind me. There's uh, I used to make it a point of buying all the art of books that used to come out because it, it, it you would also see some examples. Oh, here's some more concept art because mm -hmm. also it, there wasn't a lot of stuff up on the website on on the internet. And now it's like there's I think in 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 England there's a concept art degree course where you can actually go and they teach they teach this stuff as a as a as a degree uh, and I think you know it's it's paired with three D modeling and stuff and I think there's I think there's even concept art I mean Imagine FX came out um, uh, which was that sort of fantasy art magazine which also used to have tutorials in it so so it was sort of become teaching this stuff has now become like a, a an industry in itself. Right now, I'm almost at a point where I try to avoid looking at too much concept art because my mind is getting so yeah. saturated by it, trying to find yes. references outside the yeah. industry almost. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, fun, the, 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 the funny thing is um, it, 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 it becomes a necessary filter. Like when, when I'm going down a Pinterest rabbit hole is to make sure that what I'm not 
liking or saving into a downloads folder is concept art. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of good stuff out there because I'm wanting to be inspired by kind of raw bits of machinery or some photography or something like that. And and and, that, and that's not to dismiss any of that concept art. It, it, it's just like I, I'm trying to, I think we can be, in, certainly we, we as artists, we get inspired by other artists. It's just, it, it then becomes quite dangerous when you're actually looking at their stuff to sort of, you know, pull in, pull into your own. So um, yeah, there's, I, I try not to, Look at it. I mean, I remember when Art Station came out, and it was just the endless wall of scrolling, like really like high quality artwork. Um, and for me personally, thankfully, I'm more into. Uh, I, I, I guess if I wasn't in movies, I would be a, a product designer. So I'm less about environments, but I like designing shapes, mm -hmm. shapes and objects. So um, yes, I, so I'm I'm less I'm less wowed by that that, that stuff now, and um, it, it, it what, what what's nice is that there's, there's kind of a renaissance back onto sort of people doing stuff on paper, pen and marker. Um, I, I I I DJ as well, and I, I have these you know I've got CD mixes. Well, even though they don't use CDs, it's MP3s. Um, but I I also learned on on uh, vinyls on Technics. And wow. so whenever I do a DJ set and I pull out vinyls, it makes everyone go like, oh my God, he's doing vinyls. So it's kind of like that now when you pull out pen, you know, pen and marker, it's like, oh wow, he's going to go straight into paper with this thing, like, oh, with no undo, you know, like, uh, so it's, um, there's so much good artwork there. I think it, it, it's more impressive now to communicate a design with um, pen and mark on, on, on a piece of paper. Of course, you need the ability to, you know, polish that up and, mm -hmm. you know, take it into 3D and, and, you know, make it into a presentable thing. But uh, within the art department, you know, if you're, if, if you've got, you know, a good, a good hand for drawing, then, you know, that's very, very impressive. I, in fact, thought that you had maybe like an industrial design or product design background because you were using SketchUp, which is quite a uh, common tool in that industry as well as in architecture. So, I yes. almost assumed you had a background in that. Well, that's interesting. Well, well, funnily enough, like I got dragged into uh, 3D or SketchUp specifically um, because I had always classified myself. Well, I'm a 2D 2D illustrator. I'm a 2D concept artist, and I would do. I was very good in Photoshop. You know, would would be doing all my stuff in Photoshop. Um, and increasingly on movies, I would get given a set that was built in SketchUp by one of the art directors. And because they 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 could do kind of some renders in Podium or you know whatever the uh, render was that they, that they were using, it was always given to me to or to you know other uh, illustrators or, or concept artists to in air quotes breathe some life into it. Can you paint this up? And so I was, I was given sets, and I was like, oh man, how do I oh, how do I get? and and so I was forced to sort of navigate within within there and. Um, and then I would start doing um, my own illustrations using SketchUp as just raw, just simple geometry. Oh, you know, makes my perspective all correct. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of little block outs. And then like, oh, look, I can do these little tricks. That I can I can just export the shadow layer or I could do a fog layer. And, and, and gradually it just started. Um, I, I started using more and more of it to design in. Um, and then I, I did, uh, I was working on a movie, um, a Marvel movie, uh, Age of Ultron, 
and there was a, a young, very, very talented concept artist called John McCoy in the room with me. And um, uh, he'd got key shot and uh, he, he did this really beautiful bike design. And I said, oh, that's nice. What, uh, what did you render that? And I said, key shot. Well, he said key shot and he's got Mac. And uh, I was like, oh, does that work on Mac? And he said, yeah, yeah, I've got it. He said, does it work in SketchUp? And he said, yeah, it should do. And I then remember opening SketchUp models in KeyShot and dragging on like, you know, carbon fiber or glossy red. And, oh, wow. And then I saw, okay, if I put more detail into the model, it would show in the render. And if I bevel those edges, if I kind of put in those shot lines, wow. And then suddenly, building stuff in SketchUp became like playing in Lego mm -hmm. again. You know, I was this kid in Lego and I'm just adding more bits to it, adding more bits to it, adding more bits to it. And then because I'm, I'm kind of a lazy modeler, you know, if I, I just then discovered that, you know, components, you can do a, a mirrored component. So like if I'm doing something with any kind of symmetry, it's like even if I'm doing a table, I will chop it into four and make sure I'm only modeling one quarter of that table and then it's doing it everywhere else. And I was like, wow, that's just fantastic. So I will always make the software do the work for me. And um, I, it's, such a, it's such a great tool like, like that. And so people ask me like, well, how come you're using Sketch if you're not using Blender? Or you know, you're not using Moi or Fusion? I would probably be using those if, if I got introduced to it. I, and now I'm kind of like a, it's sort of like old dog, new tricks. It's very difficult to sort of teach me something new because I'm very reluctant to, to, to do it. And, and I'm very, very fast in SketchUp. So um, I'm able to kind of bend SketchUp to my, to my needs mm -hmm. in, in a way. Uh, and it is in, incredibly fast. I would like to get into Blender, I think. I see some very, very stuff, some great stuff done in that, especially by Jammer. I've got a couple of his tutorials. So uh, at some point when I have time, I, I'll, I'll sit down and just have that painful day one of going like, oh, okay, how do I make a box? You know, yeah, you almost have to around and having that bit, yeah. Go back 15 years. Like, oh, and it's so <laughs> painful. You're just like, wait, oh, how do I zoom out? And then you have to go to like, you know, Google you know, Blender, zoom out. I mean, it's just that painful teething process that I think frustrates um, older people like myself. Whereas I think when, when you're younger, you're just keen to kind of, oh, wow, let's see what the software does, where I'm constantly going like, I could have built this already in SketchUp, you know, but so I think I've just got to suffer. I've got to suffer through the, the, the teething process. It's interesting because so I studied architecture for my bachelor's degree and SketchUp was a big part mm. of our workflow there. So when I saw the way you were using SketchUp, it was quite different from the way we were taught to use SketchUp because you were doing all these oh, yeah. spherical shapes, curvilinear shapes, which are quite difficult to do without the plugins and stuff like that. So it's interesting. Yes, yes. And I mean, I mean, I get asked, well, do you use a lot of plugins? Uh, to be honest with you, the only, the only plugin I really use is Round Corner because mm -hmm. it puts the those, those hard bevels or the little radiuses um, on... On, on, on the edges and it goes back to a uh, something my I did a model making degree course like an actual physical model making oh, degree okay. course at Bournemouth at the Bournemouth Arts Institute and um, my teacher there explained to me uh, about how when you're doing product design when you're doing products and he held up this really square bit of uh, MDF which is a, a, it's a sort of synthetic wood and he said, um, you know, it had come off the circular source. So the edges were like pure 100% 90 degrees. And he said, uh, he said, 
he said, when you're doing uh, model stuff, you have these, and he pulled out these things called radius templates. And it would show like, you know, 0.2 mil, 0.5 mil, point, you know, one mil, two mil, to put this sort of round radius on all the edges. He, said, he says, if you look at products, and it's like, you can do this now, so whoever ever listens to this, look at your phone, look at your keyboard, look at your, I mean, I'm looking, I've got a power book, I'm looking at the edge of my power book. And you can see that the edge is highlighted it either goes into highlight or it goes into shadow and that's because of these little beveled edges mm -hmm. and so i started doing that to my models and, and of course they would register in the um in the renderer and uh, if you want to make it look like it's not in sketchup it's yeah do something with a sphere so i, I would create a sphere and then use the scale tool and distort it and, and stretch it and then create some sort of an interesting pattern and punch through the surface of that and intersect it. So I'd Boolean it. Interesting. And it would cut out this very, very interesting shape, but it was curved. Interesting edges on it, but it was curved. And then you could, you know, thicken that element and build around it. And so anything that sort of curved and cut through and distorted in a way, people are like, that's SketchUp. Um, I don't, I'm not the best modeler in it. In fact, I, I've done uh, a couple of talks for SketchUp at these SketchUp Basecamp events. And uh, I, I have an audience of, of people who are very, very good at technically modeling in SketchUp. And uh, they were asking me, how do I do what I do in SketchUp? And it really isn't about my ability to make shapes it's just i'm designing in, in sketchup what makes that look interesting is the design not because i know how to you know make a sphere correctly and mm -hmm. sometimes i don't because it's got little artifacts in it and i had guys coming up to me after like, yeah, listen if you, if you want to make a proper sphere you've got to do this and do this and do this like, yeah i know so it really becomes sort of like a tool of design and so um i I did this lecture, which was less about modeling in SketchUp, but more about implementing good design and proportions. Um, and, and I remember one guy holding his hand up, going like, what, what, what do you mean by design and proportions? And so it then that's where you, you could see it split into two camps is that you had guys that were great uh, technicians in the program that could execute and build watertight models or you had the designers that were keeping an eye on kind of proportions and outline and negative space and all, and, and all that kind of stuff and didn't really care whether it was watertight or not because the end result is the design, right. not the model, um, which I thought was quite interesting to see. And uh, I'm, I'm definitely in the design camp and, you know, my models like you pour water in them and they're like, you know, it just run like a sieve, <laughs> but you know, that's, it, it's not, my the my output at the end of the day is uh, is 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 the design, and um, actually I'm I'm kind of um, doing myself a disservice. There, a lot of the time the models are, are, are quite good, but if they're being built or if they're being um, printed in three D, they do sometimes need to go to one of the three D modelers who works in the workshop who might have to rebuild something in CAD just so it prints or cuts cleanly. Mm -hmm. um, but you know that's not my that's that's not my job they want me to design so as soon as something is pr approved that's given to the workshop and they're giving me the next thing to design so given that pretty much everything that you design is actually being built for the set and for the movie do you design yeah. only to scale or is it 
just proportional designing and then you send it off to the CAD modelers? No, I tried to design it in, in scale. I mean, one of the uh, uh, one of the most important things is to design with the figure there, just so you you kind of got this visual representation of how big you're making something. Uh, I mean, things can be always you can always scale it down afterwards, um, but but it's um, something that I've noticed, and it, and it happened a couple of it's, it's happened a couple of times early on, and this is pre. 3D, um, my, before I got into 3D modeling, was that just designing something on paper, um, something that happens a lot in the art department. So you could design a gun. Let's say we design a gun, a rifle in the AFC, and it looks great. You've got all the, you know, your details on it. And first thing they would do is, okay, print this full size. Print this full size and let's get it onto a piece of foam core so we can hold it and see what that looks like. You print that thing off full size. It may have looked good at a3 printed off in your wall, uh, A1 printed a bit bigger, but when it gets printed a full size and somebody has to hold it, you're like, oh God, that end is way too long. So you're not necessarily aware of proportions when they're on your screen. So you really need to have some sense of scale when you're doing it. So if you can just, you know, you're doing a gun or, you know, you're doing a bike or any kind of vehicle is just to keep checking kind of visually with some sort of human reference scale because it really then makes you go, oh, that makes the exhaust look a bit, well, that's way too big. So um, the last thing you would want is for something to make it all the way to the workshop and to get built and for you to go and stand next to it and go like, oh my God, I wish I made that any shorter. So uh, yes, very, very important to design to, to scale. I was also curious, given the fact that in a film production, there's a lot of collaboration between the props department and the art department. It's almost like a back and forth process. How often do you actually yeah. get to go to the set and see the stuff being built out in real life or actors oh, interacting? Quite, quite, with? A, quite a lot. I mean, it's something that I would try to do daily when I was working in the studios because you get to go down, you know, I, I built the, I designed the nuclear bomb for one of the um, uh, Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible Fallout. That was a Mission Impossible Fallout. And so I built this, um this this device uh beautiful bit of like hard service hard surface um tech lovely bit thing to, to work on and um i would go down to the workshop on a daily basis just to see how the guys were getting on because also i would see problems presenting themselves that i didn't see in the model or in the drawing and they would say to me chris what what do you think we should do here? Guys, yeah, all right, this, this is completely blank. Can we put something, can we put like a shut line in here or something like that? So it, it was very, very important to me to, to go down and see that. And uh, because I used to be a prop maker as well, you know, I'm aware of what they can do and it, 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 it helps my design. And I would take, I remember taking a very, very early rough concept down there and a, a couple of concepts and printing them out. And I called them over and I laid them down. I'm like, all right, guys, listen, this is for the, uh, this is for the nuclear bomb. I'm kind of thinking about, I would like it to open in this way. And I'm kind of like, I'm sort of separating two halves of the box. I'm kind of, I would like it to do this. And maybe these could be the pistons or we could do it like this. And this is like, what are your thoughts? And they kind of stood there, sort of, you know, kind of sipping a coffee and smoking a cigarette. And these guys are like animatronic engineers and they're, you know, they've been, you know, machinists and they know how to make this stuff work and they'll be like hmm 
Well, if you want it to open like that, we would need two of those to keep it stable. Is that, yeah, two, oh, well, yeah, well, that would look cool. Okay, we, well, we can double up on the pistons. That, yeah, we could do that. And then we could, and they would be talking amongst themselves. And so I would be working with them because all of their comments improved my design. And then mm -hmm. I would deliver something to them that they could build. Um, and so it was, it was a very, very sort of symbiotic uh, relationship because uh, they knew more more than I did about mechanics. So right. I had to go down and say, like, can we make this work? And uh, and so to make it work, I had to adjust my design a little bit, which then made it look more realistic. And so uh, all those little notes always stick in my head. So it, it, a great source of inspiration to, to go down to the set and go down to the stage and see that stuff being built. So how have you dealt with it for the last, you know, one year or so? Because you're obviously working from Prague. And yes, yes, stuck in, stuck in my stuck in my man cave here. Um, financially, it's been better because I've not had to fly to, to the UK. Um, but I've missed it. I, I, I've missed it. Um, we, you know, communicate a lot by you know sort of uh, you know e email and kind of Skype, you know, Zoom calls and and, and that sort of stuff. And um, it's. It was just something that we that they had to to do because I couldn't fly over there, and so uh, they needed my designs, and so it was just you know uh, they would they would send me pictures of stuff and references and stuff. It made it harder for them, mm -hmm. um, made it harder for them, made it harder for me as well in in terms of sometimes having to guess what it was that they needed. You know, do, I like working remotely. I like I like not having to commute in to commute in, but um, when you're stood in a room full of uh, artists and creatives and you're talking about something, the energy that you build around the thing you're discussing and all looking at at the same time around a table or in the workshop is incredibly powerful. And also very, very inspiring because you go back kind of juiced up, oh man, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do this and do this and do this. Like yeah. you know, being there, being there is, is, is very, very important. And um, I would, what I would normally do, and it's what I did on, on, on Jurassic World, which was I would fly over for a week. Okay. You know, every couple of months, just to kind of get in there to sort of like, you know, see all the artwork on the walls, go down to the workshop, see what they were working on. So you were really in there. Um, and it, it would really help inspire you, which would then really drive your work. And because you, you'll know sometimes when you're working and you're not feeling inspired, it's very hard to make yourself kind of like, put effort in you know you need to be excited about your work and I found going down to the stage going down to the set being like, oh wow that thing's going to go there wow okay cool so they're going to sit in it they're going to shoot this and oh wow my god okay and you come back juiced up and you really commit and you really produce something you know that that's that, that's quite impressive hopefully at the end of the day that actually brings up another question because um a lot of people have this assumption or maybe it's part of the reality where you either need to be in one of these industry hubs where the films are actually being shot. So I'm just curious uh, how you've tailored your career to a point where you're able to work completely remotely at this point. And is that a possibility for people who are just trying to break in at this point? Yes, yes, it is. It is. Um, um, I think, I think um, my specific... Uh, area of expertise to say is um, uh, working 
in the art department and because you're kind of you're problem solving there okay here's this design brief which is a design problem that you have to solve and incorporating what are the limitations of what are the physical limitations of the set the budget and all that kind of stuff and and you need to take in all of this and and uh, apply it to your design and i can do that because I've actually been in those art departments and I work there and I know what they need and they know that I know that. Um, it's a little bit harder to just be a remote designer and illustrator sometimes mm -hmm. if you don't know that those limitations, budget limitations, time frames. Um, it's if you are kind of you could be hired to be sort of like a guest designer kind of like a daniel simon kind of thing and, and, and you could submit designs uh i think and i'm making an assumption here that um if you are remote and in another part of the world you're probably going to find it better to when you're designing really really pre-production so when directors or producers get hold of you and they have it, they don't even have a workshop or anything. All they want to do is they, they want ideas down on the on paper mm -hmm. to show the studio or to show investors. So they just want you to do your thing and communicate this visual scene. Like, you know, we've got helicopters diving in at this thing and you know it's blowing up fire. I want to see this. And the director may do like a little thumbnail scribble of kind of the framing that he wants and then you can do your thing and then location doesn't matter because you right. don't need to take into account you know budget constraints or what the location is or like, you know what props are being included or what's the set dressing it's really just about the scene so that's not about the prop i'm doing that's more like during the pitch phase or the green lighting phase where the project more is about the more yeah yeah um or perhaps sort of the visual effects side, mm. which is maybe a little more post where you're kind of, you've got these plates and you've got that, you know, maybe they want to get a certain visual effect approved and you're painting over those plates. I think that, that, that really, really early stage where you're working with directors or producers, uh, that's very, very good for being remote or the VFX stage. Um, but it, for, for me, um, I, I kind of need to, be able to or my employers want me to be able to go down there and see stuff in, right. in the set um and i kind of have the benefit of having done that for the past 20 years so i know what they're talking about um and i, th I think if they were employing somebody who hadn't been in the industry and didn't really know about that sort of stuff it would be very a very very difficult hire for them you know so uh they, they would really want, you know, an artist to be able to travel into the studio so that they can show them, okay, this thing you're designing, it's going here. So we need to take the measurements from this and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of practical work that goes around what you're designing and not just, you know, that you're designing a nice thing. There are so many other constraints that you have to consider. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. This, this reminds me quite a bit of how architecture gets done like you can't do it purely mm. from the studio you need to go to the site and see the construction happen. yes very much that i mean you could do you, you can do your building design you, you can come up with the concept for the design and that would be the early on stage. but if, if as you're fine-tuning and stuff like that and they're like oh they've just discovered there's you know there's a water main down there and you can't build your thing we need to do some oh i need to edit that shit and so the design evolves so you, you you kind of need to be around and there to be able to 
modify and adapt your design because that happens all the time. That happens all the time, you know, with either um, budgetary constraints or they've changed the script. Mm-hmm. Oh, this thing isn't this anymore. Um, it, it, it happened on again on Mission Impossible because they were, they were changing the script a lot, and I designed this thing which was supposed to be like a a dermal healing device, like a, a laser that it was like laser stitches it cauterized an injury stopped it from bleeding and i designed this thing this it looked like a sort of giant pen with this laser coming out of it and it was built practically with a red laser and it looked really really cool and then the script got rewritten and it, and it got repurposed into something that it was a a tracking device a thing that would insert or remove a tracking bug from somebody's neck so like you know design stuff stuff would get repurposed and things like that so so yes if, if you're remote and you're wanting to, to to work on movies i think you need to be at that more sort of blue sky stage where you're working with producers and it's really just getting kind of stunning visuals out to mm. you know to, to to get scenes approved or to get you know, a, you know the, the green light from studios or it's more of a visual effects thing and you're working for visual effects companies. Um, but if you're actually working for a lot of art directors that are on site themselves, uh, they they would like you to be on site as well, in my experience. Yeah, I think that's a pretty transparent and honest thing, uh, honest breakdown of how things would actually turn out in real yeah. life. And I guess it's yeah. highly unlikely that a junior artist would be given a shot at the very early blue sky stage early on. Yes, yes. I, I, and and, and um, um, I think, I, I mean, I know of artists who have just, you know, put up killer work on social media on Instagram, and it's, uh, you know, and it's gotten in front of producers, and, you know, because you know, maybe they're scrolling on social media, or they see that stuff. So good work travels far, um, especially if you're consistent with it. And, you, you know, I know people that then get approached by the studio or the director or the producer being like, hey, we love this image. You know, are you available to do some stuff for us? You know, we've got this, we've got this, uh, you know, we've got this pitch, we've got this idea. So how does it actually work in terms of onboarding an artist to a project? Are you attached to a production company or are you completely a freelancer where the production designer comes to you and says, hey, this is the thing that we're working I, on? Yes, yes, the, 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 the latter. So I'm 100% freelance kind of a, a gun for hire so I get the call from the production designer or art directors or set decorators or prop masters you know oh we've I'm about to start this new project it's blah, 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 blah. it's stuff I think you'd like are you available for it so I I'll get approached so yeah I, I have no uh, there's no agency or, or agent involved so it, it, it is on me it certainly was on me earlier on to do a lot of my own um, PR mm-hmm. and, and send stuff out. In fact, I, I made, um, you know, I've got my big A3 hardbound portfolio. Um, but I remember making, I spent like a couple of hundred dollars making uh, A4 versions to put into mailable envelopes and send them out again to art directors, oh, just wow. letting them know like, hey, here's a collection of my stuff. I, I mean, I was basically um, looking for work. But I was trying to sort of, uh, I, you know, I think if so, the, it's quite nice receiving things in the post, the traditional post that isn't a bill, um, you know, so, or somebody asking for money. So uh, <laughs> I was working under the assumption that if they get this big envelope, oh, oh what's this? 
<laughs> oh, okay. Oh, the portfolio that they might sit down in the with their morning coffee and just sort of have a flick through it. And if it's there, then it's they'll they're more likely to sort of um, get in touch with me and, uh, and and say, oh yeah, I've got this job coming up. Yeah, thanks for that. You know, so uh, yeah, I've done various forms of you know having to send out copies of folios physically, emailed in a PDF, all, all, all that kind of stuff. So yes. Uh, and now, like I said, it, it almost becomes like an AI. That stuff's already out there, and people remember me. People remember working with me. Mm -hmm. So it's it, it, it come it's it's coming to me at, at the moment. Because also because it's very busy. I mean, now that you've had so many years of experience, are you at a point where you're building your own teams and kind of doing a larger chunk of a project, or are you still do you still prefer working a bit more solo that way? I'm kind of working, working solo, so I get given one brief at a time. Um, although uh, a, a good friend of mine, shout out to Matt Savage, um, he was recently, he's a great concept artist and he was recently tasked with uh, putting together a team, having been told by the designer, you know, um, who do you like working with? You know, who, who, are, who are some talented uh, designers and artists that you like working with? No egos that can produce great work. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, so I, you know, you, you can be, I think, sort of uh, tasked to then assemble a, a team and then perhaps start delegating because you know what people are good at and all that sort of stuff. But um, for me, you know, I, I get given briefs, one, one brief at a time, and uh, you know, I, I, I do them. I stick in my headphones, listen to YouTube documentaries, debates, audio books, and. Uh, Sit here at my at my desk and and draw and it and it's it, it really is what I what I love doing and it's what I've done since I was a, a kid I used to draw you know monsters aliens and robots all over my school books so then to be able to earn money doing the same thing although they're not on school books anymore it's you know on a Wacom tablet and in Photoshop um, uh, it, it's a real blessing and there's that you know, great quote if you you know. If, if you're paid to do the thing you love, you, you'll never work, never work. A, a day in your life. Yeah. No, yeah. That, that's awesome. Kind of cheesy, kind of, kind of cheesy, but yeah, it, it, it resonates because film hours are long. They're really long. We typically do 8 a.m. till like 6.30, sometimes 7.30. So um, um, I get asked, wow, man, how can you look at that computer screen all day? And I'm like, I, like if you're in the zone, which is when you, you know, that flow state where you lose time, it's just like, well, I, even if I wasn't working, like being paid, I would still be doing it, but mm -hmm. with my own stuff. So it, it's not the thing. I don't notice the hours because I enjoy doing. I enjoy doing it, which is very, very important. If I didn't do, if I didn't enjoy it, oh yes, you notice how long that day is and like how sore your eyes are at the end of the day. But uh, if you're doing the thing that you like and you're kind of relaxed and you're just painting, designing, you're listening to music. For me, that's the, the best job in the world. This is actually a good segue into some of the harder moments in the film industry because not every design is successful the moment you do it and sometimes stuff gets built and maybe it's not working correctly the way it is. Have you had experiences like that where the design is completely way off the base and things had to be redone and stuff like that? Not too bad, no. And I mean, I think that's one of the benefits of you know designing in 3D is that you really get to preview you know what the back of that thing looks like you know because mm -hmm. it's not something that you've hidden in like a photoshop <laughs> squiggle um so uh what have i had recently i haven't had i haven't had anything recent i haven't had anything recently but early on um i 
there was some stuff that I, I had designed uh, and I think I put, I think it was on Narnia, there was a, a giant weapons rack, there were these large catapult, um, there was a trebuchet, which is basically a giant, giant catapult and they took these huge bolts and so part of the dressing was like, oh, well, we've got this old wagon, we need to fit something on it that looks like it's going to hold all these trebuchet bolts, these mm -hmm. giant spears. And I, I wasn't 3D at the time and I was just drawing it. In fact, I was in painter, I was doing this stuff and they're like, oh yeah, this is really nice. It then got built and uh, we got down as it was being built. I think the prop making supervisor was talking to me and said, um, Chris, the, this is, the way this is at the moment, with the size of the spearheads, we can slide them in from the front, but we can't take them out again. I was like, oh my God, you know, and oh no, and they built it and I'm, and I'm sweating, just thinking, oh, oh, that's it, this is it. They, they've caught me, I'm the imposter, I'm gonna get fired. You know, nice working with you, Chris, but you know, makes stuff that doesn't work. And then the, the prop, mate, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, how are we gonna get the spears out? He goes, well, we could just turn that bit around and then we can take them out from the back. Oh, thank God for that. So there's been, there's been some, some, some close calls, but there's always a, a fix mm -hmm. somehow. And, you know, you know, it's not, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be the only person to build something or design something that, oh shit, doesn't work. But yeah. it, it's the thing that, it's the thing, it's the mistake you hopefully make early on that scares you, that you remember to check. So that as I'm designing stuff, I'm just like, okay, you know, you know, it's a bit like, you know, you come up with a, uh, you come up with a design and throw a bunch of stuff at it to make sure it sticks. And so that it, it's, it's a functional design and will it do this? Will it do that? Um, because yeah, the last thing you want is to go down to set and have the director being like, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, so, true. so, uh, so it, it's something that I'm kind of conscious of in the back of my mind that's always there you know, just double checking stuff yeah i think that's a great piece of advice i mean in my own personal experience yeah. i realized that early on if you make a mistake you think like that's the end of the project and the end of the world but you realize yes. over time that those kind of things keep happening so it's fine yeah and and, and there's usually a way around like you know the the the, the project is bigger than the thing that i'm designing so mm -hmm. you, you know it, it's even perhaps you know things have happened that have made me go like oh there's a way around it there's a fix to solve something because this you know they've got to film this or they have to shoot this particular scene yeah um but i remember being uh and, and not even something that you know was, was up with my design it was just the director of photography i remember on doom this you know the, the sci-fi movie uh, game adaptation with the rock in um, we had had these laser cut stainless steel door panels with these buttons in that, you know, changed color when you typed in the key code, you know, went from a red lock to a green unlock. Um, and suddenly the night before we were shooting, he had said, he had said to my boss, right, can we have some lights behind that? And it had taken a week to prep that thing. And my boss had called me and said, um, yeah, we need to get some lights in behind that, those things. And I was like, oh my God, like that company, like it's a rebuild. The company took like a couple of days to laser cut that stuff. And 
I, I'm going home in the van that night and I can't think because I'm just like, oh my, how are we going to do this? And, and I call up the, the buyer and I'm like, Stefan, I said, I need you to go back to that company. And I said, uh, I need you to get another one of those panels laser cut with the numbers on. Uh, I said, but we need it. Uh, we need that thing by the afternoon. They're shooting at 3 p.m. And he goes, oh. And I said, and this was in, in Czech Republic. And I said, I need you to go in there. And I said, you need to throw money at them until they say yes. And it could, because, you know, they had, they had there was a, a line of other work that they had to do for other clients, right. other reasonable clients. I said, I said, just stand there throwing money at them until they say yes. And so we had to pay extra to get this new panel cut. And then... Um, like I had to take the electrician with me to set and we had like 40, it was like T minus 40 minutes before they shouted action. And this thing had to be working. And he's like, he's gluing in LEDs and I'm kind of dropping kind of these numbers in them. I'm kind of gluing them down and we go in, into set and we have to hide behind a table as they're shooting a certain scene, like naughty boys under a table in school, kind of like, you know, kind of doing stuff. And, and in between takes, I remember the first AD came over and he said, right, how long before you get to, you know, shouting, because you know, ADs shout, well, how long before that thing's ready? And I said, like, uh, 10 minutes. And, he's, and he said, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly how long I'm going to give you. <laughs> I've got like beads. I was, it was my third movie and I've got like beads of sweat running down my forehead. Um, and it's the, and like the electrician's working. And, oh God, we're trying to do it. And we, we kind of like, <laughs> yeah, in between some takes, we managed to take out the old panel, stick in the new panel, and we got the battery there and stick in that, and, and we test it. And yes, it, it changes color as per what he wants. And all the scene, all the actor does, and, and so like we then go back under the table and almost sort of commando roll out of the way of the, uh, the shot, stand up behind the camera, and I'm drenched in sweat. And all the actor does is walk past it. And as he's talking, knock it, you know, slam it with the back of his hand. You can kind of see over his shoulder that it changes color and they carry on walking because that scene was not about my prop. The scene was about them walking through the door and, and locking it right. behind them. And you just like, but in your mind, you're thinking like, you know, all these Warner Brothers executives are going to be watching the rushes at the end of the dinner, end of the day, just going to be like, "Hey, I want to see you know like an absolute, an extreme macro close up on the thing I've built." That's how it feels like when you're designing stuff, and it still does sometimes. You just like the entire movie is just about this prop, and you can be sweating about it, and then you know, of course, you you, you realize that you know sometimes you hardly see the damn thing, and uh, that that that's that's always a a good thing to remind yourself is that sometimes the pressure on you can make it feel like the entire movie is just about this one bloody thing right. and it's in the person's hand and goes out a shot and it, it, it's not so and then you know a year later you'll be in a petrol station and there's the dvd bargain ba uh, bucket next to the uh, cashier and like, like oh there's that movie i worked on so like it's there's that expression that we have in england it's like you know today's news is uh, tomorrow's fish and chip paper like you know they wrap the fish in England, they yeah, used yeah. to put fish and chips in newspaper. <laughs> so it would be drama one day and it's old, you know, it's wrapping fish and chips the, 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 the next. So, um, so you know, something I have to kind of remind myself every now and then. It's just like, no one's going to fucking see this. Wow, that's fascinating. I mean, there's like so much action and adventure that goes into creating these things. And sometimes it might even oh, get cut yeah. out of the movie at the end. So you don't even know about that. Yes, 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 yes. Or like, you know, I mean, I... I, I spent a lot of time again on mission impossible designing this 
special gadget that on this lock pick mm-hmm. needed to be like the size of a pen. And basically, you, know, you hold a pen, you're hiding 90% of it. And then the action was basically him then putting his hand up against the door. You could just about see a tiny bit of metal and then you heard click, 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 and the door opens. And like, I remember the guys in the workshop had got, you know, they'd been machining all these tiny little parts and springs and things for this thing to reject out. And when it came to shoot, it was over in two seconds and it's gone. You never got to see it. So yeah, that, 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 that happens a lot. That's awesome. I love hearing these stories because a lot of these movies that you're talking about, like Narnia, Hitchhiker's Guide, these are movies that I watched growing up, which almost moved me towards this industry. So it's really fascinating to listen to these stories. Now. Yes, yeah. Well, well, I mean, that's always the interesting thing is having like, you know, the, uh, the war stories mm-hmm. to tell from, uh, from, from, from being on set. You don't get so many of them being in, in the art department, but there's a lot more the drama's a lot more intense the closer to, to camera you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm happy I'm, I'm not down on set um, anymore and that I get to, yeah, just, just sit, in my, sit in my room, listen to music and draw pictures. It's my happy place. That's awesome. I also wanted to talk about Dune because that's the most, let's say, high-profile thing that's coming out now. Yes. And there's like yeah. a lot of weight of expectation on a project like that. Does the, how does that translate into the art department? Because you know that this movie has been done before twice, failed due to various reasons, and then the designs need to be on point because if this doesn't work out, it may never get done again. So how does that translate yeah, into you? Yeah. I mean, the, the, it, did, it didn't feel like the pressure was on because it just felt like it was in amazing hands from the start, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with the director, Denis Villeneuve, and uh, the designer, uh, Patrice Vermette. Like, it, they were just they're just impeccable at what they do. So you, you just like, you know, you, you see what they're, you know, what they're planning to film, what the designs are. It's like, like, wow, yeah, this thing's gonna be amazing. This thing's gonna be amazing. So uh, yeah, the, it didn't feel like, the pressure wasn't there, because I think the pressure had already been taken care of by guessing in this like amazing director and, and, and his amazing production designer. And it was just more like, sort of a sense of pride and, and pleasure to be a, a, a part of it whilst being kind of genuine, trying to be as genuine as you can to the original source material, mm-hmm. um, which I think, which you know, I definitely think they did. And I, yeah, I can't wait to, can't wait to see it. It's been teased for so long now yeah. to bring it out. So 22nd of October, I believe it, it, it's out and the trailers look, look amazing. So uh, um, yeah, can't wait can't wait yeah i'm really excited about it as well for a project like this how how many years in advance does the art department actually get set up and how long does the pre-production go on for i don't i don't know i mean i get brought on pre-production but by then it's probably already been running for maybe six months on a smaller scale where where it's just perhaps the producer the director and the production designer and it's that stage where maybe they'll reach out to the production of the design will be like, okay, we need some illustrations and they'll reach out to somebody, hey, we're developing this project. So that's the point where I was talking about that if you're remote, you you know, that that's an ideal situation where you can jump on because they just need your images, they need your work. Um, I always usually come on when there's the departments are set up and I'm working for a specific department within the production. So yeah, usually it's been in prep and pre-production for maybe five to six months by the time I get on it. Okay. And 
do you like especially in a movie like this where you know it's going to be split into two parts does the art department mm. continue as it is for the next part as well are the productions being developed simultaneously how does that happen um it, i think it's dependent on the crew like for, for um it, it's if the crew's available they'll they'd get pulled on to the, the the second part but of course like with all this time going on and, and people having to work it's um you know it'll probably be a mix of kind of original crew plus you know some 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 new hires just because you know people who were working on the first one have, have you know are on another project and not available for it but that happens with you know not just sequels but you know you know with um uh movies in general i mean i I'll, i'll do one movie with one production designer and then you know kind of i come off and go into another movie and then he'll he might email me again and say you know i, I you know i've got this great project love to have you on it and i'll, I'll be like you know i might have to say I, you know would love to but i'm already uh, I'm, i'm already uh, in bed with this other movie <laughs> so hopefully kind of next ne- ne- next time round and so so you you know it, it's like that with the crew with crew as well with art up crew so it's it's kind of like a shuffling of cards and every couple of years I'll be back with some people that I work with a few. Oh, wow, okay, you know, they, everyone's been off on their own journey. And, oh, we're back together again on this one. Okay, that's really really cool and then off it goes again. So you, you know, you're kind of a, the art department and, and crew is just sort of a a deck of cards that's been shuffled. Mm, that's and just by yeah. chance and opportunity you, you you end up working with the same people again. But it's just great because it also keeps things fresh like, you know, you I'll, I'll work with new artists, new designers and get inspired by new people and fresh things so um i think the 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 down one, one perhaps one of the downsides of working purely remotely is um that kind of lack of um brushing up against other talent where they would uh you say well for me it's like oh my god how do you do that and you know oh wow and you get to learn a bit and your skill level goes up so mm-hmm. i think if you, if you are in, in your own uh, sort of cave a lot of the time you, you might run the chance of being a little bit stale for me personally anyway i found it very very beneficial to kind of work with other artists because you sort of you help each other level up now that's quite know, true i think okay. it also um, in a way forces you to make sure that you know you're not letting the ego get a, get the better of you because you might run into the same people a few years down the line and you don't want to yeah 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 i mean i mean get, get, getting comfortable it's good to get scared you know like um it, you know it, you can get quite comfortable with your own skill level and go, oh yeah this is really nice and i mean that happened with me before i went on to uh guardian the first guardians of the galaxy um uh we were I, i was working with some other concept artists that i knew and we kind of had our established way of working and then they brought in all these other guys from um this uh this concept design company called atom hawk oh yeah and they brought in all these guys um like pete thompson tim hill uh roberto castro and they were all a bunch of like you know, speed paint guys who just had these techniques that just were like oh my god how are they doing that i remember being especially roberto especially especially i mean he's he was an architect um and uh i don't get wowed by uh concept art a lot these days but his sense of design was just beautiful his you know kind of delineate, like he designed the milano and he just did this he did these um there was a 3d model that he was helping he was sort of helping to uh 
not not build, but he was helping the the modeler build this thing because he was then going to put all the panel mm. detail and, and work on it. Okay. And it was this thing that was like 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 maybe ten thousand pixels wide, three hundred DPI, and he was just layering on all this like beautiful metal textures and just these light the the panel work and line work, and it just made me drool when I looked at it. And I remember I just went up to him and I was like. Roberto, can I get a copy of that? That thing is just beautiful. And so he really inspired me. And then, you know, I would pay more attention to a lot of my kind of panel work and lines and stuff. So I, th I think it, it's very, very important to be scared mm -hmm. and inspired. And then you try and emulate a little bit and, and you, you, you don't end up copying, but you absorb and you kind of make it into your own way. So I, I think working with other artists being inspired by other, other artists is, is very, very important. And again, there's a, another quote, if you know, if you're the, if you're the best, they usually would use the word smart, but uh, if you're the best person in the room, you're, the, you're in the wrong room. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a good one. I like you that. Know, because, I like that yeah. You know, because you need, you need to grow and uh, getting scared and inspired makes you grow. So, uh, yes. It's yeah. an interesting yeah. balance, right? Because you can't let the scared part overtake you because then you're crippled and you can't do anything. Yes, yes. I mean, I, and I mean, fortunately, I mean, it, it sort of happened to me at a stage where like, I was you know, confident with you know, generating a certain level of work. So it, it, it was more kind of shock, shock and inspiration. Mm -hmm. like, wow, shit. Like, you know, oh, wow, that's amazing. Okay, I'm going to try and do some of that. I also wanted to talk about yeah. the Shining Tribute project that you did because it looked absolutely yes, brilliant and the way you captured the oh, cool, ominous man. feeling. I mean, yes. what drew you towards that? Apart from the obvious film being amazing, but what oh, was it? Oh man, it's, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite movies, really is one of my favorite movies. And that tracking shot down the corridor where like, you know, he's following Danny on the tricycle. Um, and I, I had, they think they just re-released The Shining and I bought it for, on iTunes and it was on my iPad and I was watching it uh, and I was doing, I was actually doing Jurassic World two years ago and so I was flying to the UK and so I'd be on the airplane. And I was doing similar sort of video animations for, you know, the trailers for my design tutorials, mm -hmm. which, which, which um, I sell online. That's the hospital scene, uh, right? Yes, yes, that was the, that was the hospital corridor. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, um, so I'd already done that push down a corridor which was inspired by The Shining. And then I thought, mm. oh, okay, why don't I? And that had more detail in it than The Shining. And, you know, building architecture, SketchUp is in, that, that's, its, that's its zone. So you can knock out architecture super fast. And so I built, you know, the, the, this, uh, I quite enjoyed that trying to, you know, look at collecting all the reference photos and then replicating that corridor from The Shining in SketchUp, building all these things like, you know, kind of the, uh, the cigarette, ashtrays that were in the court because it makes you pay attention to like okay well i built the corridor what are the details in that corridor mm. you know what are the pit oh they've got okay pit photograph photograph oh okay look it's off the hills okay put those in and then okay there's a there's a fire extinguisher and there's a cupboard there so it's quite nice just going through it and in this sort of like forensic detail and replicating that and then okay let's bring this into key shot um and uh, see you know let, let me do this tracking shot down the, the center of the corridor and it did it and I'm like, oh that's kind of cool and then okay well having done those trailers it make it it's, it brings it next level as soon as you put sound to it or music and so you know i then lift out you know some of the sequence and sound effects from 
the shining and i was like oh it almost kind of makes your hair stand up on end mm. and so um i yeah so i anim- I, I wanted to do this sort of i wanted to do the whole thing like the lobby and all that kind of stuff but i just ran out of time so i had all these still uh still shots of like you know room 236 with the key in the door you know all modeled up which yeah. would then render and stuff like that and so i did these kind of slow push-ins um i didn't have enough to do the animation i wanted so it's kind of a, it's a combination of just that tracking shot down the corridor with just intercut with this in time with this heartbeat this boom, 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 boom. and every time it cuts it's just this sort of flash dum, dum, in between of like you know two three seven key in the door bedroom yeah axe in the bathroom door close up on axe i you know i ran out you know i didn't i, I would have loved to have just started doing more but it, it, it's great that's exactly the kind of thing if you get inspired to do something it just you, know, you, you just keep building stuff for it so it was just a nice little project whilst i was in london staying in a hotel which hotels always remind me old hotels always remind me of the shining anyway because there's always some horrendous pattern carpet in the, <laughs> in the corridor so um i felt like i was in a, a good place to sort of do a, a homage to one of my one of my one of my favorite movies that's amazing it, it really makes me think about the fact that a simple corridor even though it looks simple at first glance there's so many tiny details that you can capture as you keep developing it. yes yes well it was it, i mean i mean when when i worked on um, when i was doing star wars it was one of the things that we would do which was like you'd have all these you keep this book of of stills like freeze frames from all these scenes which was okay here's here's a question for you so we all know the um, the scene in the first star wars where they're on the the the, the death star and uh vader is arguing with the other generals and he's like you know your your lack of faith in the force you know this, you know I, I find disturbing and he's, he's force choking that general across the table mm-hmm. and we're all caught up in that scene but it's like okay the chairs they're sitting on do they have wheels or do they uh, do they have wheels under they have casters under those chairs or do they just you know what what's the base on that and it was really interesting to then go through those stills because we were having to replicate chairs and it's like what chairs do they have on the death star <laughs> and so it's funny to then kind of like okay not watch the actors okay what's that chair that's it okay keep going keep going oh my god they've got wheels on you know so so it, it's very interesting to then go through a movie and not engage with the story but engage with the set dressing mm. what is that thing on the wall you know because that that is our job because you know the the art department build the architecture and so i work a lot in set decoration where we then have to then breathe life into the architecture by putting in the furnishings and the props and the dressing and all that kind of stuff so very interesting to you know watch a movie like watch a movie sometimes first time around where you're watching the story and then i might watch it later where I'm, I'm kind of looking at the architecture, or I'm looking at the tables, or I'm looking at, you know, kind of the stuff that's being designed in there. You're looking at the wheels on the futuristic car and like, have they got that, that tire on there? What have they done there? And, you know, so it, it's it's doing stuff like that then then kind of, you know, kind of gives you sort of, uh, it's like second sight where, you know, you'll watch, you'll watch movies and you'll start noticing details in, 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 in a different context because you know that somebody had to either find it, choose it, build it, and then decide to hang it on the wall in, in, mm. in, in that spot. So, uh, yeah. The really yeah. fascinating thing about these smaller details to me is that when they work right, they just integrate into the scene. But if you get it wrong, everyone notices it. 
Well, that's the, I mean, that's what they said about the kind of CGI, and I think it's something David Fincher gets really well, which yeah. is like you know, good. You shouldn't you, you shouldn't notice good CGI. Exactly. It shouldn't it shouldn't be the thing that kind of stands out. You know, so you know, you know, in, like in in in, in um, Zodiac, like uh, you know, they 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 recreated some like the seventies sort of. Uh, uh, you know, 70 streets in the background behind the police cars and stuff. And you just think, oh, well, it's the location. It's like, no, no, they had to augment a lot of stuff. So, um, you know, like with, with uh, the, the dressing, it should, it's almost like, oh, your brain should just go, oh, well, they found a room like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and, and, you know, and it's funny when you think of like, actually somebody's had to go in there and choose the cushions to go on the, the thing. It's just because it creates a personality. It's like, okay, what does this person have in his room? You know, it, and then it conveys. You know, are they, do they have money? Don't they have money? What are they orderly? Are they not? Are they slightly kind of, you know, are they a slob? Are they kind of, you know, is it tidy? So you, 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 it helps to reinforce the story as well. But um, yeah, it, it's very interesting being behind the camera and seeing that stuff develop because it's you, your brain just assumes it was there from the start when it's done well. Do you have any interest in maybe building some of your own short films? Because now you've gained so much experience over the years and you know how it gets done on a pretty yeah. close-up basis. Um, I like, I, I really enjoy doing the trailers mm-hmm. for my uh, tutorials. Um, and I like doing these short animations. And uh, again, I'm just using SketchUp and KeyShot form. So um, I feel a couple of new tutorials and animations are coming up like because I, I can feel that I'd like to do stuff soon um as far as doing uh, a short story I don't think I have the the, the skill set to to do it I, I think that would be uh beyond unless it was something like animating inanimate objects a bit like you know pixar with luxo the lamp because mm-hmm. i can't do i can't do figures in right. in uh, you can't animate figures in you know you can't really build them in, in in sketchup and animate them in key shots so i can do scenes where you know kind of robot arms are moving and kind of like you know cameras doing a lot of the storytelling which is kind of interesting because it sort of forces you in a in a, in a, in a specific way to forces your hand in a specific way to communicate a narrative which is interesting. So uh, I'm going to do more of them, but um, I think they'll be very much along the lines of what I've already done, but just trying to convey a feeling or a mood or you know something like that. Yeah, because I always find it fascinating when people who have a lot of professional experience experiment with their own IPs or ideas because all that information yeah. gets coalesced into one thing that they really want to do. Yes, yes, yeah, very much, and I enjoyed, and I, and I enjoy doing them. Is of course, it's just trying to find times when you, when you're not burned out, and 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 the last thing you want to be to yourself is another is another boss, you know, where like, oh man, I've started this project and I don't want to do it, but I should, you know, it really should be kind of the thing that you know you're excited you're excited to hit the weekend because you want to see how this render comes out, or you've got you know you've got this idea and you just, you, you need to get it down on digital paper or start start modeling so um, yeah so i just have to make sure that it i start these things at a time when i actually wanting to do them uh, rather than forcing anything that's awesome so we're almost at the one and a half hour mark so i don't want to take up too much of your time yeah i have just a couple of more questions and then we can uh, end the conversation so you have this pretty interesting balance of like 
doing a lot of artwork and then DJing, working out really <laughs> intensely. Yeah. I just yeah. wanted to talk about how you've come up with that system for yourself. <laughs> yes. Um, it, well, it, it's something I recommend all desk-bound people do is just find some sort of activity to move because uh, to speak of ghosts of Christmas future again, um, you can go in, you know, I could be in the art department and there were the draftsmen and art directors who have got bad backs from leaning over their table all day and favoring one arm over the other to work with and so this this sort of like a you know a torsion and like you know, oh back problems and so be active be really really active because we spend so long just like in the same position mm-hmm. um so um i've always kind of enjoyed the gym and weightlifting and stuff but uh, uh crossfit is my is my is my sport now and it's constantly wiping the floor with me uh which i i, I like so it's um it, it, it's challenging it's challenging it's challenging to me and makes me sweat and keeps me fit and healthy and you know i'm 42 now and uh I, it's it's good to have some sort of uh implemented routine that you can hold on to and work and have family life um just to be able to kind of live and be healthy to continue doing the things that you love rather than have the thing you love start injuring you yeah uh, there's a lot of people that i know that have problems from sat at you know inappropriate desks or desks at inappropriate heights and stuff like that so i love being active um i love music so uh, i used to i used to be a dj when i was a, a student um and i had some residencies as, as as well and i'd be playing on vinyl and um you know, the listeners can't see this but you can see my setup behind me so one of the things I found is that, you know, as a creative, I have a bit of a mischievous monkey brain. It's, it's the part of my brain that is easily distracted. And sometimes if I'm doing boring work, I'll be staring out of the window or something. So I turned my room into like my kind of playroom. So um, it's the room that I want to come in here and do stuff with. So it, there's, there's fun things in here, like the posters on the wall, there's DJ equipment behind me, there's art books under there, you know, there's, I've got, I've actually bought a copy. Um, uh, randomly, I bought the typewriter from The Shining. Oh, wow. It's a, it's a Adler. It's not the, it's not the typewriter, because I think that's in the, in the Kubrick archives, but mm. just as kind of putting stuff in my room to make it pleasant for my brain to be in here. Like, I'm in here, I'm like, oh, it's fun, it's stuff, there's creative things. Okay, yeah, I'm going to do things. So there's that sort of childlike, mischievous monkey part of my brain that is happy to be in here. So um I, th- I think you have to it's great that you can push yourself hard to generate good work i think it's equally important that you reward yourself by doing things that please you outside of work so for me that's music uh crossfit um having movie memorabilia around the room and stuff like that so i feel like I'm, I'm making myself do hard work, but I'm also rewarding myself, yeah. you know, because you, you, you're kind of two people in, in a way. It, it, it's, you, you know, you will start to resent yourself and the thing that's making you do the work unless you find a way to reward that hard work. So, so yeah, so um, when, uh, when we had a, a lockdown here in, uh, in, in Prague in the Czech Republic, um, I, I, I rented one of the Olympic barbells from uh, my CrossFit gym. And uh, I had a, a couple of the, my friends, a couple of members come over and who also DJed and we, we would sort of incorporate 
this sort of we we would record these mixes whilst doing this this weight training at the same time. So whilst one person was mixing, one person was weightlifting, the other person was resting, and we'd be rotating for the afternoon, and it just became just became fun. Yeah, I remember seeing fun, your really Instagram fun. stories during that time period. It was really fun to yes. witness. <laughs> it looked like a really fun well, party I'm- happening over there. You know. Yeah, and and shout out to everyone who's um you know kind of uh, a lot of people reached out, a lot of artists reached out to say like, oh man, yeah, you know I'm yeah I'm working at home and I've got some kettlebells or like yeah I've got you know I'm gonna dust off my garage gym and stuff like that. So um, it 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 was it was nice. I don't want to say inspiring, but also hearing you know encouraging other people to 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 be active and it was great hearing that you know other artists and designers like yeah look at i've got my little garage gym or i've got my weights here and stuff like that and it was just like right on that yeah, yeah good 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 keep moving keep healthy keep after it so uh i think you know we're just big kids at the end of the day and it's just you know important to have keep having fun finding ways to have fun that's awesome well so just the last question i like to end these conversations with is yeah how far ahead do you plan your own life and your future? Is it in like 10 year spans or is it just as Oh my God. I constantly get in trouble because I forget what I've agreed to do at the weekend. So um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very much kind of living kind of in, in the moment. Um, uh, in terms of investing in the future, I've, I've started buying crypto a lot. I mm-hmm. guess that's my, that's the one thing I, I guess I'm kind of using to kind of look into the future and be like, okay, well, I hope that, you know, this will kind of turn into something. Outside of that, it, 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 it's kind of funny because I was very, very lucky to kind of get where I wanted to be sort of it, about 10, 10 years ago, which was, I, I want to be a concept artist in the film industry. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what I want to do. And I was very, very fortunate to feel like I had achieved that earlier on. Um, that can be a bit of a ceiling for, for some people. It's just like, oh, I've got here. And you do need you do need a um, you do need a uh, a goal to aim at all the time because it, it, it motivates you. And if you if you're already at that place, it's quite difficult to keep you motivated. Um, which is why I'm using kind of my personal projects to kind of to do things outside of that. So you know, my my work, which I love, generates my income but to 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 aim at something kind of higher than my 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 work level those are usually the personal projects that i cook up with and do these tutorials and talks and presentations because it's then nice to sort of share this information that i've learned over the past 20 years yeah um and i find that that's probably the most valuable thing to pass on to other people is 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 not necessarily the work but like oh hey listen (laughs) i learned this maybe you can apply apply it somehow so being able to share that is uh, is, is is very very rewarding for me wow damn chris that was really fun i mean so much information within a span of one and a half uh, hours and we, really we just yeah this. yeah and we've we've just we've just scraped we just scratched the surface <laughs> yeah so uh as you can see like i, lo- I love to talk so uh, yeah we'll have to we'll have to do it again sometime absolutely i feel like in such a long span of time there's so many more things that can be discussed Oh man! So well, come, come come up with some come up with some uh, fresh questions, and we'll uh, we'll have, we'll do a part two for sure. Awesome. Well, have a great day ahead, and thank you so much. My pleasure. Talk to you soon.